University, a podcast with value. Penny University presents a torn heart, loss of a child. How do you open and introduce a new series on loss of a child? It has been on my heart for a very long time to share a few stories on this type of loss. There are several types of loss, spouse, parent, friend. The list can go on and on. Each has its specific pain associated with the loss. Sadly, I have experienced several deaths in my life. We all have, and we all know of the sting of death. We all experience death in some way and at some point in time. Heck, we will personally experience death. It is the one guarantee in life. Loss of a child is membership to a club no one wants. Most of us pray, think, hope that it will never happen. Some of us have to walk. No, crawl on that path. Yes, I lost a child, my youngest son, Andrew, and I will share my story at the end of this series. I hope you listen to every episode. There are people that are living with holes in their hearts. Yes, living. Thank you for giving us the time to share our stories, to let you know of our loved ones' lives. I trust that this series is for everyone. Get to know some incredible people. Welcome to A Torn Heart, Loss of a Child. Episode 1, Jill Potter, My Beautiful Boy. Hello, and welcome to Episode 1 of Penny University's new series, A Torn Heart, Loss of a Child. This is Episode 1, and I um, like to title it Jill Potter, My Beautiful Boy. Thank you for all of our listeners. You guys have been wonderful. Please remember to listen, like, and share with your family and friends Penny University podcasts. We are on nine platforms. You can also head over to our Facebook page and share there as well. Your support is priceless. As all of you are aware, we are working a new normal here with the coronavirus, with um, working with social distancing. I'm sitting here in my office space while my guest in for episode one, Jill, is sitting in her living room. We're communicating via computer through Zoom. And if you hear humming, that's my good old laptop. But I truly believe that the rawness of this recording actually fits the rawness of the stories we're gonna be sharing. So here on this first episode of the new series, A Torn Heart, Loss of a Child, I'm gonna be talking to Jill Potter. So Jill, why don't you um, tell us uh, why don't you can say your name, but why don't you share a little bit about who you are? Um, okay, I'm Jill Potter. I am a cardiac rehab nurse at the hospital, uh, YRMC, although currently I'm working all over the place doing the screening process involved with the coronavirus. Um, I'm also a karate instructor. And um, I've lived in this area since 1986. And we live in Prescott, Arizona. And 
The way I know Jill is through karate. My husband, Jerry, um, also is a karate instructor, and I met Jill via Prescott Family Karate. And um, I honestly did not know that you lost a child um, for, for a lot of years. You know, even though we knew each other, I didn't know that you had lost a child. Yeah, it's, I don't know that it's something I talk about every day. I do kind of try to let people know because there are going to be days that I'm more down than others, even though it's been many years. It was 1993, but there's just no statue of limitations on grieving for a child. And so there's definitely, there are days that are anniversary dates or days that are close to Mother's Day or something where I might not seem my perky self. And so um, I try to let people know, and because it's part of my story and because I don't want him to be forgotten. You know, I think that was one of the reasons when I felt this weight to do this series, um, that I wanted to talk to you because you are open with it, um, even though I didn't know, but you um, have not chosen to just... Um, wilt away. You're a karate instructor. I know that you also used to jump out of planes. I did. I stopped at 706 and it wasn't really intentional. I just sort of took a little break and maybe came to my senses after that. <laughs> at some point I realized that there really was an element of danger there that I didn't really think about prior to that. So yeah, I'm not doing that anymore, but I am, I am still actively um, a member of the United States Parachute Association. Well, I just thought, you know, I wanted to live like Jill before. <laughs> and now, now it's like, I want to grasp life. I know you run, I know you go to Greece, I know you do so much. And I just, I, I, I need to say, I think that's amazing. I think I've just, I kind of have always been that way, but I think once I lost Colin and I realized what a neat kid he was, just kind of, he kind of lived on the edge. It wasn't anything big because he was only 17, but he just, you know, he wasn't, he was a kid who would, ride his skateboard down the hill that would drive me crazy because it scared me to death um things like that and i so when i came to the skydiving thing i thought he would be saying go mom and when it came to karate i knew he'd be saying go mom so yeah i just like to kind of grasp it and live it while i'm here well i think that's kind of a perfectly share about your son share about colin so you said it was 93? It was 1993. It was December 11th. He had the only thing that kid had ever actually done that was totally disobedient was he went to a party. He was supposed to be at a school dance. He had a new girlfriend. And he went to a party instead. And it was a non-supervised party and the parents had gone away for the entire weekend. And that was one of the things that I felt a lot of anger about because I, I felt like those people simply forgot what it was like to be 17. And of course you're going to have a party if your parents are gone for the whole weekend and you have the house to yourself. And they, they left a lot of loaded guns lying around. They were just there. 
and they were very lethally loaded guns. I'm not anti-gun at all, but these, the police talked to me and said those were those were lethal loads. We call those man killers. And in this case, it was a boy killer. And he was just leaving the party. Um, he was the only kid there who had not been drinking because he was in a car club and he was very proud of that. And they had very strict rules about drinking or drugs and driving. And so he, I'm not going to say that kid never had a beer because I'm quite sure he had, but he he was not drinking. There was no alcohol in his system. And he had spoken to me moments before it happened. And I had said, you are not where you're supposed to be. I need you to come home. And he said, I said, are you okay with that? And he said, well, I'm not okay with that, but I love you. And so he was putting his shoes on and one of the boys had cocked the pistol and then it had a very unusual decocking mechanism and in trying to decock it, it went off and he was just standing in the way and that's what happened. And we lost him two days later. So that was really, that was the wee hours of the morning on the 12th. So we lost him on the 14th of December. <clears throat> so who, who was Colin? He was a bigger than life boy. He had the biggest heart yeah, ever since he was a tiny little kid you know if if he saw something that he thought somebody was being hurt or somebody was being mean to an animal it just broke his heart and he was just a very giving loving child now he was not a saint he could be quite the little creep when he wanted to be <laughs> but he was mostly really really a good kid and he loved his family a lot yeah, yeah. Um, now, you have other children? I have a daughter, and she actually lives next door, and my older grandson is named after my son. So that's Aww. nice. We have one. That's really sweet. I love that. So, um, you know, I understand that this is going to be, you know, pretty emotional. Um, and it I is. You know, I, I don't want to you to feel like, oh, I can't share this or that. But one of the things I love, and we talked for a few minutes before we started the recording, is I love telling, you know, stories about uh, my Andrew, you know, um, to, to just keep him in my heart, keep him going. Um, do you have like a great story that, you know, of course, I know that there's tons we have tons of great stories about our sons, but do you have a story about Colin that just kind of shows who he was? Well, I have a story from when he was actually quite young. He was probably, he must have been three and a half, four years old. And we were, we had gone back to Alaska to visit. That was where he was born. And we had gone back to visit my best friend. And we were just standing up, chit-chatting on the street. And a man went by on a motorcycle and he apparently part of what that guy did was he would, that's how he exercised his dog was he would have the dog <laughs> behind and suddenly Colin was just bereft. He was on the curb, just, just crying his heart out. And I, finally I got it out of him and it was because he thought the man was leaving the dog and that was his personality. That was that was Colin to a T. And there was another time when 
uh, we lived in San Diego at that time and some friends had come over and we were just messing around and they took Megan in their car and just went around the block and she was just a baby. She was maybe a year. And this is Colin's sister, your daughter. Yes. Okay. And, okay. Sorry. No, and, that's um, and Colin, again, he, he was just sobbing his little heart out because his sister was going away in a car. And so that, those things to me encapsulate the kind of a person he was. And he was that way always. And I have one more story that's really just kind of funny. So Colin and Megan were just wretched little enemies while they were, <laughs> when he was, you know, 13, 14, and she was still, you know, 10, 11, 12. And so the day after her 13th birthday, um, she was down in her room and Colin came through the kitchen and I said, where are you going, Colin? And he said, oh, I thought I'd go hang out with Megan in her room. And I said, well, I thought you hated her. And he said, <laughs> well, you know, now that she's a teenager, she's kind of cool. Oh, well, I, I'll have to tell you, um, you know, I, I never met Colin, but when you were sharing that you had talked to him a few minutes before, and he had said, I love you. And you said, that's not where you're supposed to be. You, right. it, and he said, okay. and he was, he was leaving. It was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And yeah. you said, and then you asked him, do you feel comfortable with that? What a fantastic parental child relationship. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I really kind of liked being the cool mom and I, I remember feeling very heartbroken sometimes when the kids would look at me like I was just so not cool. And, <laughs> and I would say, how is it I used to be so cool and now I'm not? But I did always try to respect their feelings. And so I did ask him, you know, are you okay with that? And he said, he was honest. He said, no, I'm not okay with it, but I'm, I'm going to do it and, and I love you. And so that was the last thing that he really said until I got there and he had been shot. And then he, he really wasn't very with it. So anything he said from that point. Now, when he was in the hospital, he, here, here's a story that really shows who he was. Here's a story. He was in the hospital. He was on a ventilator. He was not unaware other than being um, drugged, of course, pain meds. And one of the first things that he did when they handed him a piece of paper that he could write on, because he couldn't talk, being intubated, and he asked about all of his friends. He, he wanted to know if his friends were okay. Oh, wow. And that was, that was pretty telling to me. And when his best friend came down from Flagstaff, you know, Colin, even being intubated, smiled at him. And I know that that boy wrote a story later and sent it to me. And that was one of the things that impressed him, that here he was hooked up to all these machines. He didn't even look like himself at all. And when Toby walked in the room, Colin smiled. And that meant the world to Toby. It just meant the world. But that was who he was. He was... And, you know, at one point I was talking to him when he was on the ventilator and my daughter was on the other side of the bed. And we always did the I love you sign language. 
things to each other. I have pictures of him doing that. And she said, Mom, he's saying I love you. And I said, what do you mean? And I looked down and he had put his hand in that position, the, the I love you sign. So, you know, how, how beautiful. I think that is absolutely amazing. There are tons of podcasts out there. You have options. Penny University is truly a podcast with value, and we strive to share great true stories. Some are plain fun, some might bring a tear to your eye, and maybe even make you a little angry. Listen to them all. Please listen, like, and share. Head over to our Facebook page, see who we are. And thanks for listening. You are listening to Penny University, a podcast with value. We hope you are finding this presentation touching and maybe even healing. If you would like to share your two cents, please contact Deborah at pennyuniversity at protonmail.com. You can also send a message to any of our guests. Now, back to Penny University's presentation of A Torn Heart, Loss of a Child. Well, Jill, I just think Colin sounds amazing and his heart sounds amazing. Um, but you said you had did you did talk to him and I believe it's a blessing that he was able to say I love you, mom. How but how did you first hear? How did um all of that happen? How did you hear about the loss? Um well, we got a call approximately 20 minutes after I had spoken to him and I was lying there trying to sleep, but of course not because I was waiting for him to come home and I was listening for his truck and the phone rang and one of the girls said he had been shot. And um, so we actually made it there before the ambulance got there. It was only a little ways from our house. And um, we had an issue at that time we didn't have an ambulance company out here, so they had to come all the way from Prescott. Um, there was no lifeline station out here, and so it did take them a little bit to get there, and we were already there. Um, I think I, I think maybe the police were already there. I honestly don't remember. All of that is a little bit of a blur, but we did make it there before the ambulance, and... Um, it was pretty shocking, you know. I um, One of the reasons why I picked a torn heart, and I um, talk about this in the intro earlier, but when I heard about Andrew, I could literally feel my heart tearing. I mean, I could just feel it. Yes. At that moment, I mean, what did you think? What did you feel? Could you... At that moment, I was, I believe, pretty much in shock. And by the time we got to the hospital, I, I was kind of fluctuating between shock and bordering on hysteria because you're waiting. He, he was in surgery. Then they, um, he stayed overnight, and they flew him out the next morning to Phoenix. And so then there was the whole crazy drive to Phoenix and... And then there was the staying in Phoenix and his father and, and his wife coming in and we were all kind of there together. 
And what finally happened was his blood just would not clot. He had lost too much blood internally. And he went into a condition called DIC, which is basically just the blood won't clot. And he finally coded. And that, that was probably the second most shocking moment because I was jarred awake by my friend saying, Jill, get up, get up because we were sleeping on the floor in the waiting room. Get up, it's Colin, he's coding. And that, I think that's the moment that my heart just tore, it just ripped, it just, I mean, there's a hole there that, that never goes away. You heal around it, but there is a chunk that's gone and it's not going to come back, it's not. It's just gone. um, Yes, sad, I mean, the entrance to this club is a terrible fee. and you are so correct. There is this hole that doesn't heal, that's always there. You learn to live around it. You learn to live with it. Right. There was there was a moment when I finally had gone back to work because they were so good to me at the hospital. They actually gave me way more time off than anyone ever gets for something like that. And when I finally went back, one of the one of the fitness clients said to me, you know, you just have to accept this. And I, I had this this split second of thinking I was going to choke her right there, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Go, leap on her mm-hmm. and choke her. And then, of course, I recovered. And, and I said to her, no, I don't have to accept this because this is unacceptable. What I have to do is I have to learn to go on. And she said... I love that, oh, Jill. I don't want to go over... I don't want to... I don't want to go over that too quickly. This isn't acceptable. I just have to go on. I love that. I, please, let me put that in quotes somewhere. That's oh, great. Please. Because it was so true. And it wasn't something I really thought about. I had to come out of my moment of wanting to kill her. Yes. <laughs> or choke her for a moment anyway. Because I couldn't believe she had said such a thing. But then I realized, well... She'd never lost a child. She didn't know. And so that was when I said that. And it just came out. It was just, it was what it was. You don't get over this. Not ever, ever, ever. Yes. There are moments me when it feels like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then there are moments where it feels like it was a lifetime ago. So it's, it's just an odd thing to learn to live with. And you never know sometimes when it will hit. Yes, exactly. It's like... Um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grieving. You don't ever complete that and you're done and you're in acceptance. You start all over again or you pick up in the middle. You go through all of those stages and then some. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are moments when I'm mad at him. Um, You know, sometimes when I drive past Granite Mountain, which ironically is where his ashes are, when I drive past Granite Mountain, um, I get mad at him sometimes and you know I I say Colin you know why did you do this why did you ruin my life and then I you know then I'm over it it's it's just a flash and then I'm over it but I think that's you have to let yourself do that you have to be angry you have to be depressed you have to be sad you have to be in denial and you have to accept it but mm-hmm. it all it all happens in all kinds of jumbled order and like I said it's not really to me ever acceptable you just accept that you have to go on without that child yes um you know when you said that this woman had stated that for a while I thought my gosh 
how many idiotic things can people say to me? But, you know, they're not trying to be cruel. They're not trying to be. And, you know, I have a master's in counseling. And I think to myself, I knew nothing. Here Here I had an education and I thought, I can help people. I knew nothing. And I thought back and I thought, oh my gosh, I, that was the stupidest thing I did, the stupidest thing I said. Um, I know, and, I, I remember things I've said before I ever lost a child to people who lost children. Yes. And I wish I'd go back and take that away because I think, my gosh, that was completely, you know, completely unacceptable to say that to that person. And I should have said nothing if I didn't have anything helpful to say. Right. And so now, I, when I meet someone who's who's lost, even if it's a spouse or something, and they're grieving very heavily, I will say, I I know how your heart is feeling. I do, and I will tell them why. And I say, I'll say, I haven't experienced your loss, but this is what my loss was, and it's really hard, isn't it? It's really difficult to go on, and you know, people just man, they just react to that. They just respond, and if if this experience has given me anything at all which it's I I would rather not have it but um I have been able to help other people and I did join compassionate friends and I did go to support groups and you know those really were helpful to me um when you expressed to me your loss after I had mine um one of the things I love that you do is whenever you do something, um, I, I know you go to Mexico quite a bit and you go to the beach and you write names and you'll just every once in a while send me a message. I wrote Andrew's name on the beach today. Yes. I, I will tell you, those are some of the most healing moments. Well, I'm very ritual oriented. I also do a thing on the full moon and I got this from a previous well, he's, he's a very dear friend, but he was also my boss for a period of time. And he does this thing on the full moon where he frames it in his hands, in his fingers. So you make a triangle and your thumbs are at the bottom and your fingers are at the top and you frame that moon and you think of all the people that you have lost. And I have used Andrew's name in that many, many times. And then I add something that comes from a, a kata that we do at the dojo and when i'm done i bring it into my heart and so i just i'm very ritual oriented when i go past granite mountain i always do the i love you sign and i put my hand over my heart um you know i just i do things his ashes are actually everywhere he's i did a skydive with some there are some in the in the waters in mexico i took some back to juno last year to to my hometown, I climbed Mount Juno, which was much easier when I was 17. My, <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> and we actually, I thought I was very emotional scattering some of his ashes because he was born in Alaska. And instead, I was so tired by that time, I just kind of threw him in the breeze and said, there you go, Colin. <laughs> Mom, here I am down this mountain. I love it. So, I, some of them make you smile, some of them make you cry, but I'm very ritual oriented and I found them to be very healing, very comforting. Even if, you know, it's not going to change the outcome, but it, it just makes your heart feel a little better at that moment. 
All right, Jill, you know, I hate to say we are under time constraints, but we are. Um, I only am given so much time per episode. But what would be, what, what could be your final thoughts here? What, if, if somebody was standing in front of you who had lost a child, what would you say? And what, tell me what you think. I would probably tell them again, number one, there is no closure. <clears throat> You've lost your child and that's not going to change. And that you're gonna have moments of depression and you just have to sort of put one foot in front of the other and and there is no goal for me except to just keep going and to keep him alive in my heart and to honor his memory by doing as many good things for other people to help them as I can. And again, it's just for me, it will never be over. It's simply a matter of one moment at a time, one baby step at a time. Well, um, I know earlier you shared in between takes, in, in between our time, that it's never over, but don't let it defeat you. I love yeah. that. Yeah, it, it's, it feels very defeating at times. It feels like I simply can't even move. I'm, my feet are stuck in tar. But I make myself just keep going on because even though it's never over, you do have to go on. You simply don't have an option. That's, that's in my view, there is no option. You have to keep going. And although there's no closure, you do learn to live. You do learn to laugh. You do learn to find joy. I mean, I treasure the moments where I laugh so hard I'm crying. And, you know, that good belly laugh feeling. And at first that felt almost like I was not honoring him. And now I realize that, of course, that's silly. He would want me to have joy. He would want me to have happiness. And so I agree with you. I remember very distinctly the first time I and it, it was actually at his funeral. Um, I had one of his friends came up and shared a story and I just let out a belly laugh. And I thought, wait, I'm not allowed to laugh. Wait a minute. Right. And then I thought, well, that's all Andrew did was laugh. So wait a minute. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's nice to hear that others had a rough time with their laugh at first. Well, I did. And my husband did when my sister and my niece came out after we lost him. That was the first time I laughed <clears throat> and he, he was very upset and he went in the other room and I said, and that was his stepson, but still he didn't understand. And he said, you know, how can you be laughing at a time like this? And I, I was hard on him. I said, don't you dare take this away from me. This is the first moment that I have felt like I can laugh and like there's a light at the end of the tunnel as far as I will have joy, I will have happiness, I will have silly, goofy moments and laughter. And I'll be able to remember some of the crazy things he did that just made me laugh so hard and some of the dear things he did. I mean, we were living in a single wide trailer when we moved here and he, he looked around one day and said, mom, we're rich, aren't we? And at first I laughed at him and then I thought, wow, that is, that is the best thing he ever could have said to me. I mean, we're living in a single wide trailer, Colin. <laughs> we are most definitely not rich, but he felt that we were for whatever reason. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I want to thank you, Jill, so much for just sharing this time, for sharing Colin with me. 
I, you know, I know that you share his picture on um, several occasions. I know that um, Andrew's name gets written with Colin in your rituals. I love that. Um, and so if I can kind of give a little bit of summary to the end, it's if you lose a child, take that one step. Don't let it defeat you. Continue to share stories about them. Find that ritual. Um, yeah. that helps, that routine that helps. Um, and for anybody that hasn't lost a child and knows somebody that does, talk to them about them. Share the times with them. Well, and help them celebrate that child's life because too many people are afraid and they back away and it's like they're afraid to hear it. They're afraid to feel the emotion. They're afraid if they hear you, you maybe it's going to happen to them. And, you know, doggone it, our kids all lived and we're going to remember those things that they did good and bad, dumb and great. And, you know, it's just all part of their story. Yep. Thank you, Jill. And You're um, I'm sorry we share a whole. Yeah. But um, I'm glad you're in my life. I'm glad you're in my life, too. I love you, Deborah. Love you, too. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Penny University's A Podcast with Value. Please join us again for the next episode in this moving series, A Torn Heart, Loss of a Child. Until next episode, be strong, wise, and safe.